and welcome to this episode of the Motherkind Podcast. It is me, your host, Zoe Blasky. Welcome to the show that is going to help you feel more confident and less alone in the wild roller coaster that is modern motherhood. My guest this week is Georgie Crawford. Georgie was just at the end of her maternity leave when she first discovered a lump in her breast. And what followed was a roller coaster journey of self discovery. Georgie says that for the first time in her life, she learned how to value herself and her needs. Thankfully, she fully recovered and is now about to become a mother again post cancer, this time with a surrogate. And we talk about the emotional roller coaster of that experience as well. I really loved this episode. I loved chatting to Georgie. She gave me so much perspective and plugged me right back in to what is really important in life. I hope you love it. Here it is. Oh, Georgie, well, we were just saying, I can't remember how I first discovered you, but I finished your book last night. I absolutely loved it. And I'm just, yeah, I'm so excited about this chat. I follow you on social and your energy, every post, I just feel energized. So I know I'm going to finish this chat feeling the same. So welcome. Oh, and thank you for having me into your community and to chat on your podcast. It's just so nice to be here. So I often start off my conversations asking about matrescence, which is like the process of becoming a mother. It's that word that means that. And you had just a really extreme matrescence because at seven months you had a diagnosis. Tell us about that. So I had my first child, Pia, back in 2017. I worked in radio. I was always on the go, always really busy. When I got pregnant, I was so ready, so excited and went through my pregnancy journey. And I was just excited to meet my little girl. And I had her in February, 2017. But as I was preparing to go back to work when she was seven months old, I found a lump in my breast in the middle of the night. And it was such an enormous shock. Breast cancer had never been on my radar. You know, there's no breast cancer in my family. I didn't think women under the age of 50 really got breast cancer. So it was such a devastating time. I had two surgeries. I went straight into a round of IVF. It just felt bizarre, you know, holding my eight-month-old baby doing IVF. And I had five months of chemo, four weeks of radiotherapy. And now, thankfully, I am five years cancer-free and I'm through that really tough time in my life. But wow, what unexpected journey filled with unexpected emotions and learnings. And I'm just so grateful to be out the other side of it. I just can't imagine that seven month mark was really tricky for me. I remember it. And I just can't imagine how you would have held those two, like so wanting to be there for peer and then also processing this. And I guess not being able to pull the two apart. Yes. That's such a good observation because I look at how much my life changed around that time. And, you know, I was growing so much as a person, but it was really hard for me to distinguish what I learned from becoming a mother and what I learned from 
getting a cancer diagnosis. And I think for a lot of women, when those two worlds collide, it's really difficult to see what came from where. And I spoke to Louise Thompson on my podcast two years ago, it was before her pregnancy. And to look at her now and everything, her health struggles and those two worlds collided for her too. And I think she's so bravely sharing it with the world. We're all taking something from her journey. But yeah, I suppose me too. But here I am. And I think with time and space, I was able to kind of figure things out a little bit better. But when you're in it, I suppose you're just in survival mode. What did that survival mode look like? Because I'm imagining that even your structure at home would have had to have changed very, very quickly in terms of how much care you would have needed with peer and hospital appointments. Was that a conversation or did you just dive in and was it just pure survival? Yeah. So I spoke about this in my book that like when I had Pia in those first seven months, I was very much like, I'm sure lots of women will be able to relate to this, but like my baby like this is my baby. I'm going to do it all. I am going to breastfeed. I am going to bring her for a walk twice a day and I'm going to do all the night feeds and, you know, so much pressure on myself. And I have an incredible mother, an incredible mother-in-law, people willing to help me. And my mom did barge her way into my house every day and forced me to accept help. But when the cancer diagnosis came along, it was very much I need to surrender. And when I surrendered, when I accepted the help, I could see Pia's life and her experience of life through different eyes. I could see, oh, Pia laughs the same way with other people that she laughs with me. And Jamie, my husband, is well able to get up and do a night feed. And actually with a bit of adjusting and rearranging We can all kind of chip in. And it wasn't that people were not trying to help me before. It was just I had an unwillingness to accept help. So the first step for me and my cancer diagnosis, I was forced to accept that help. And when I did, everything changed for the better in my life. Where did that resistance come from? Because I see this an awful lot. I know it in myself as well, sort of hyper-independent, I'll handle this, not wanting to seem vulnerable or risk asking for help and being rejected. I so know that. I used to do all of that as well. Where did that come from in you, do you think? I think when I started to reflect on my life and I was writing my book, a lot became clear. So I think for my whole life, I was a people pleaser. I put all of my energy into my job before I had PS. So, you know, I was, yes, person. I had breakfast at my desk, lunch at my desk. I worked overtime, took on all the different roles. Whatever you want me to do, I will be here because I really wanted to progress in my career. So when I was going on maternity leave, I didn't know where to put all that energy. And instead of kind of sharing that energy between myself and Pia, I just put it all into Pia. So I would sit up and watch her nap and people would say, you know, when baby sleeps, you sleep. I was like, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard because I've got washing to do. I want to still make a curry from scratch. I want to clean my house. I never rested. And I think for all of those years, 
through my work and through becoming a mother, I was so busy distracting myself from myself because I just didn't want to hang out with me because I was afraid of what was going to come up. I didn't want anything scary. I didn't want to deal with anything. I just wanted to turn my head the other way. So I can see now that my job and then becoming a mother, I used it really as a distraction tactic. Yes, thank you for sharing that. So honestly, I think that is true for so many of us because it can feel like, particularly if you're lucky enough to have a maternity time, you know, some time away out of the paid workforce, that slowing can feel really affronting because what do you find in stillness? You find truth and it's like, I get why there's a lot of tendency to just keep busy, keep busying ourselves. Yeah, like numbing ourselves, really. So when I was in chemotherapy and Pia would nap for two hours a day, I would sit in my garden with my dressing gown on over my clothes. I take my wig off, like the mask came off for those two hours. And instead of putting on a wash or I had no energy to do those things. So I had to sit, I had to refill, I had to replenish. And through that time, which was something I was so privileged to get in so many ways was time because it's this precious thing that we think that we don't have. So when I was given that time This was the shift, right? I remember I used to come back in. So we moved house a month or two before I got sick. We bought this house at the foot of the Dublin mountains. And I remember thinking, it's just not for me. I just love a busy village. I love a coffee shop. I love the hustle and bustle. This house was Jamie's dream. We were in the middle of nowhere. I remember sitting for those two hours when Pia would nap And I'd look at the trees blowing in the wind or I'd listen to the birds and I'd think, how did I never notice this before? And every day when I'd slide open the back door and come in to pick Pia up from her cot, I would think, Jesus, I feel a little bit better after that. And that was the time that I never had to reflect because always in my life I was forward onto the next, never time to sit and think and think, wow, how do I actually feel after that? There was no time for that in my life. So when I had that time to go, Jesus, I was sitting outside there and now I feel a little bit better. Why did I tell myself for so many years that I hated being outside? So I started to challenge my beliefs And the stories that I was telling myself about myself. And in those moments, I realized that everything I had been telling myself wasn't true. So I said, if I get a second chance, if I survive this, because at that time I was still very uneasy about if I was going to survive or not. I still had big, big fear. I said, I'm actually going to challenge other parts of my life now and see what else I can do? And what else have I counted myself out of that actually I was wrong about? It's so true, isn't it? That if we don't give ourselves that space, it's like clarity comes from space. We can't get clarity without some space. I had very similar realizations. And yeah, it's just so true. It's so true. But what is that fear that you talk to? Because I think lots of people listening might relate to that, that fear of stillness and space and I guess linking into that people pleasing like I need to do and be to get that validation what did you uncover about that 
There's so many different answers I could give you here. So I think my fear of space and time was, I was the type of person who never wanted to have a problem in my life. So that's why I was a people pleaser. Because if my manager asked me to work overtime and I really didn't want to do it, I would say, yeah, 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 no problem. Because What if I say no, then there's a problem and that's awkward and I hate having problems. So I was afraid to stop because I was like, what if I think about the problems that I've had in my life or maybe that I've ignored? So I would run from my problems. Then I watched this Tony Robbins documentary, Not Your Guru, which is still on Netflix. And he stood up and he goes, your problems are your gift. Your problems make you grow. Why do we run from them? So I heard something recently that blew my mind and it was like, are you on the dance floor or are you on the balcony? So for so many years, I busied myself on the dance floor. I was just dealing with what was directly in front of me. I couldn't see the bigger picture. I didn't want to see the bigger picture. I busied myself with my day to day little tiny problems. I was so afraid of getting on that balcony because what if I got on the balcony and I took a bigger look at my life and I thought, shit, I'm really unhappy. Then what do I do? So I avoided the balcony, but actually through my cancer journey, when I got up onto the balcony, I started to ask myself the bigger questions in my life. And actually I started to get to know that little voice in my head that was saying, drink more water, do this, do that. And I realized that that little voice in my head was actually my best friend. That little voice wasn't there to scare me or to tell me that my life wasn't good enough, that little voice in my head was trying to lift me higher. So when I stopped ignoring that little voice, everything started to change for the better. It's so true. And I think what a gift as well to be able to teach our children, because I think we do live in a society that so values busyness and going to all the clubs and all the classes and you need to do this you can't just go to school you also have to do it it's just we live in that world don't we and I think to be able to model what you're talking about which is just slowing down to speed up and I know that's something that you talk about it's just such a gift isn't it it is and it's hard to do it and you know, I'm a realist as well. Like we all have mortgages to pay. We have to pay our bills. We have to get out there and work. We can't just sit in our back gardens and meditate all day. But we have to also look at our life and wonder, is my life working for me? What am I actually trying to achieve here? And I think when you do stop and pause, one little tiny tip in my book is a 30 second check in in the morning. So when I worked in radio, I always worked on the breakfast shift, loved breakfast news, loved getting up before everyone else because I could fit more stuff into my day. But I was so depleted year after year after year that I'd often find myself sitting at my desk without my glasses without my phone, without my wallet, you know, taking other people's keys home from the office. Like it was so much frantic energy all the time, all because I never stopped at my front door with my hand on the handle. And before I pulled it open, I never stopped to say to myself, what is it that I need today? Before I start giving to the rest of the world, what do I need? And you can do that in 30 seconds. So for people that say, I don't have time and I completely understand that, give yourself the gift of just 30 second check-in. 
What do I need today? Is it more water? Is it actually an early night? Is it to make it my business to say no today at least once? Just check in before you give. And I think for mums, oh my gosh, isn't that just so, so, so important? Because I think we hear all these analogies, like we hear you can't pour for an empty cup. We hear the oxygen mask analogy, but there's so few of us actually putting that into practice. Like I think we know it up here, but it's just completely different ballgame actually being able to care for ourselves as well as much as we do our children. Tell me about what that's been like for you. It's been difficult at times. I've definitely felt really selfish. You know, that oxygen mask thing, we've all heard it. Actually, what does that really mean? What does that mean in real life? So for me, I spoke about the burnt potato. I have like five little short stories in the book and women really resonated with this. So my husband, Jamie, was diagnosed with MS when we were dating and that was like earth shattering for us. For a few years, we were absolutely devastated. Now, 10 years on, Jamie is fitter and healthier than he's ever been in his life. And thank God he's been so well. But at the time, I remember thinking our world had turned upside down and our whole life started to revolve around his health. Now, we didn't consciously do that. But I remember thinking his health is our priority. So I would do the ironing. I would do all the housework. I would encourage Jamie to go to the gym or go out for a run, go play hockey. And I'd say, don't worry, I'll look after everything. We have to keep you well. And then when I'd cook the dinner, if there would be a burnt bit of the dish, so say the corner of the lasagna burnt or a few of the roast potatoes. So I call this story the burnt potato. I would put the burnt food on my plate because I said, we have to keep Jamie well and I'll survive. Something we say to ourselves all the time in Ireland is, I'll be grand. I'll be grand. So I would eat the burnt food to keep Jamie well. Fast forward 10 years when I'm sitting in my garden during my chemotherapy journey with my dressing gown on at two o'clock in the afternoon, I'm saying to myself, how the hell did I expect to stay well when I was living like this, when I was giving every part of myself to other people? So I promised myself in those long, beautiful days that I had in my garden that if I survived it, things were going to be different for me. No more burnt potato. Now, when it comes to being a mother and doing that, right? So I feel so guilty when I say no to Pia, you know, when I'm putting on my runners, leaving her, going for a run or going out with my friends or filling up my own cup, because I feel like I should be giving every part of myself to her. The reason that I do put myself first from time to time and the reason that I don't eat the burnt potato anymore and I want Pia to see that because when she grows up, I don't want her to eat the burnt potato. So we're breaking the cycle. So self-care, wellness, putting yourself first from time to time, please don't ever think of it as selfish. You're just showing your children that they too, when they grow up, are important. And when you think you're important, other people start to think you're important too. Yeah, you're so right. What are the cycles you're breaking? I think our mums, our mums did it all and, you know, not speaking for everyone, but, you know, I think historically women have 
sacrifice themselves for the good of everyone around them. I know my mum would sacrifice her own happiness for the happiness of her family and everyone around her. And I suppose when I was growing up, I wanted to be just like her. And actually, it spreads, right, when you start to look after yourself, like through my cancer journey. My mum is on her own journey now and with health and wellness and other people become curious about it. So when you lift yourself higher, you're actually lifting those around you too. Tell me more about people pleasing because you touched on it at the start, but I know it's something that almost every mother that I speak to struggles with. What are some of the shifts that have helped you say no more easily, put boundaries in, be able to hold those really uncomfortable moments that you were trying to avoid before? This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. And therapy is a space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. Therapy is just an incredible, safe, non-judgmental space. I absolutely love it. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule, which I think as busy mums is what we all need. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash motherkind today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash motherkind. Especially around being a mother, don't do for others what they can do for themselves. Because I don't want Pia to grow up and just think that life is a piece of cake. I need her to see now that she is going to have problems, but in those problems, she can grow. So I will make Pia do the hard stuff. I will make her do little chores around the house and see that not everything is hunky-dory in life because I want her to be resilient when she's older. I have this thing called quitting time, which I think a lot of mums will relate to. So eight o'clock, cut off for me. I've set boundaries. People in my family know that past eight o'clock, don't talk to me about work. Don't ask me to do anything in the house. Like I down tools at eight o'clock and that time can be different for everyone. But that's the time that works for me because I like to get into bed early around half nine. So that gives me an hour and a half of like a bit of time and space before I go to bed. And I think when you set boundaries, and I think especially for, you know, young teenagers that could come up to their mums in the evening at like seven o'clock and go, oh, I need my rugby stuff for tomorrow, but it's dirty. Well, if your child knows that you're downing tools at eight o'clock, they're going to make sure to give you that dirty kit at five. So it's just little things like that that I think, but it's important when you set boundaries to let other people know about your boundaries so that they can see the line and they can choose not to cross it. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, you're just setting it's just those invisible expectations. Like imagine if you hadn't said the 8pm cutoff and then you were getting annoyed at everyone for asking you after that. And also, I've really learned about, you know, when I first started saying boundaries, I was so clumsy with it. Oh my gosh. Now I've learned it doesn't need to be this big, heavy thing. Definitely don't use the word boundary because everyone's like, whoa, what? 
But I think it doesn't have to be this big, heavy thing, does it? It can be as simple as, you know, guys, after this time, this is what's going to happen. Or can you not do that? Or it doesn't work for me for that reason. Like when normally most people in my life are like, oh, cool. Okay. I didn't realize that was a thing. Great. Yeah. I get that. Sometimes it's not like that. And as well, like just to say on that, like I have a six-year-old, so it's really easy for my quitting time to be eight o'clock. Like I'm going to have another baby at the moment. I don't think 8 p.m. is going to be quitting time for me in the future. But even if you can just screen calls, you know, is there someone ringing you at half nine to talk about their life? Like we need to say no. You know, so even if you could set a boundary around that, like don't ring me past past eight o'clock or don't send me an email outside of work hours. I agree. I have a little out of office that you probably got actually when I emailed you, which is like, this is how long it's probably going to take me to respond. Yeah. It's a little expectation setter. (laughs) (laughs) So you mentioned you were having another baby. Tell us about that. So I'm on a cancer drug called tamoxifen. And I was put on that drug for five years. So the advice is not to conceive while you're on the drug. So my doctors were like, look, we can take you off it after three years and you can try for a baby. We went into a round of IVF, like I mentioned, when I was diagnosed, just in case my ovaries didn't survive the chemotherapy. But it looks like they did, you know, everything returned to normal in my cycle and everything like that. So I would be confident that if I came off my drug tamoxifen, I could have a baby naturally. But I think because I had a pregnancy-related cancer just in how soon I was diagnosed, I think for my mental health, it would just not be a great decision for me personally to quit my drug and become pregnant again. So we started pursuing surrogacy, international surrogacy. There's a lot of laws around it in Ireland, which I won't bore you with, but 98% of couples in Ireland who are pursuing surrogacy go international. So that is the road that we have gone down. And our surrogate mother is currently... I forget because the weeks go by so fast, but 25 weeks pregnant today. Oh, that's amazing news. Congratulations. So how does it feel knowing that you're going through this pregnancy as three of you? How does that feel? I think mentally, I started the process in September 2020. We had started the process in Ukraine and unfortunately we were due to do an embryo transfer with our surrogate mother from Ukraine the week that the war broke out. So we were due to transfer on February 21st and the war broke out on the 24th, which was a devastating time for people in Ukraine and that really derailed me for a long time and it was very hard to just get my head around how inhumane the war was and is and I definitely had to just let it all kind of fall down I just couldn't make any decisions about where to go to next or anything like that so I just did nothing for six months and then we picked it up again we did an embryo transfer in January so in terms of the emotions and things like that I guess I expected to feel a certain way which I don't which is funny about the stories we tell ourselves so I thought I would get into bed every single night and feel so far away from my baby and so disconnected and there is 
definitely times that I feel disconnected. I'm not going to lie. There's hours go by sometimes that I just forget because the baby is not in me. And I'm presuming that's natural. But I think as time has gone on, we had a 3D scan last week and I felt like I saw my baby's face for the first time. So I feel more connected now. But I have a lot of trust. Our surrogate mother is amazing. She's such a beautiful person. I feel very trusting of the journey. But I think that's probably, I don't know, like you have to. Otherwise, how would you do it? It's just so beautiful to hear you talk about feeling that closeness without carrying because of course you know that closeness is available and open because fathers don't carry in the same way and and say that they have that closeness and there's so many different ways into parenthood and and motherhood isn't there I think it's easy to forget how many different ways there are to become a mother absolutely and I always say this, like that even if you're not a mother to a child, you can still be so motherly. So, you know, you can be motherly to your dogs or to your nieces, your nephews, like look at Oprah, you know, she doesn't have any kids, but she is like a mother to so many people around the world. Oh, I did find it tough. I was speaking to our surrogate mother last week and I don't know why I felt well, like it's probably a natural question to ask. But I said to her, oh, um, is the baby kicking? You know, I expected her to be like, yeah, yeah, the baby's kicking away. And she said, nonstop, morning, noon and night, the baby's kicking all the time. And when she said that, I felt in a way like so happy, but in a way so so heartbroken that I'm not feeling those kicks because I experienced that with Pia. So it was such a bittersweet moment, a moment when I heard her say that I'll never forget in my life. It took my breath away. And it's so true, isn't it? That most things in motherhood and life are an and, aren't they? They're like such an and that there's room for both those emotions, that you can be overjoyed and really sad. Yes. And you can hold both of those and one doesn't negate the other. They're both true. That is just such a beautiful thing to say because I think even in my cancer journey, we're conditioned to think cancer is bad. You know, your life is over. And in my cancer journey, there was some of the most beautiful moments of my life. Like the night I shaved my head was so special. and never forget the love, the love in the room. The night I shaved my head replaced all fear in the room. Because I feel like, you know, the two can't exist at the same time. I felt so supported and loved that night. There was no room for fear. So I think to be open to both sides when you are in a terrible, terrible situation and there's, it's like a cancer journey or a diagnosis and you, all you can see is darkness ahead to trust that there is light. There is always light. And I think to have a willingness to let the light in is, you know, something I was very lucky to have. 
it's so true. And it, I don't know why it is this way, but it seems to be this way that those rock bottom moments, those darkest moments, the thing that we would never opt for ever seem to be the very things that unlock something in ourselves that we would never have got any other way. Yeah, it's like when people go through a really bad time and then they say, oh, it was so tough, but I wouldn't change it, you know? But when you think about it or you're like, oh, you know, when you first get the news, you can't access that, can you? You just can't. Well, I couldn't when I've had some of those, you know, rock bottom, you're just in it and it's feeling the feelings. But then being able to take the gifts from any experience Absolutely. But I think, you know, when I speak about my cancer and it's it's easy for me to say five years later, I had a really good prognosis. I survived. I got my life back. There is things that happen to people that are unimaginable, like losing a baby, losing a child. I don't know how people get through that. I honestly do not know. So I think when I speak about I'm just very conscious sometimes that like it's not the same for everyone, you know. And I think it's right to be. I think there's a really fine line between toxic positivity and between holding space for any experience, isn't there? And I think actually it'd be interesting to get your thoughts. I know you're really in the world of sort of wellness and self-development. And I think we're really, it's really changing at the moment that I think 15, 20 years ago, there was a lot about you know, just think a different thought. And do you know what I mean? I feel like now there's so much more understanding of the full spectrum of human experience. And some things are just really shit. And it's okay for things to just be really hard. Even when it came to my diagnosis, I was like, oh God, is this my fault? Like, did I have negative thoughts? Did negative thoughts make me sick? You know, did bad food make me sick? We look for the cause of things so much. And Therapy was the greatest thing, the greatest gift I've ever given myself, the greatest investment I've ever made in myself was going to see a therapist and for my therapist to say, Georgie, sometimes your body just malfunctions. Sometimes these things happen and it's not your fault and it's nothing that you did and you didn't cause this. And just to have that understanding and that perspective and just to not feel so alone with your thoughts sometimes, like therapy is the greatest gift. I completely agree because it's so interesting to me. We always go to self-blame. It's like me. I really struggled to breastfeed and I so desperately wanted to. And it was just a nightmare. And I was crying. It was just horrific. And I just blamed myself. I put so much pressure on myself. And I just see that we do that so often, particularly as women. And I think particularly as mothers sometimes, we just blame ourselves if our kids have a problem. If, you know, what have you learned about being kinder to yourself? I think once I started to be kinder to myself. So one of the questions I'm always asked is, what did you give up when you got sick? Like food and stuff, because people are really interested in food, I think, and what you eat. What food did you give up when you got sick? And I always say, I didn't give up any food. I gave up self-loathing, self-hatred, being tough on myself telling myself I wasn't good enough, beating myself up every single day. That's what I gave up. 
I didn't think about what food I was giving up. And when I gave up all of those things and made room for self-love, self-compassion, self-belief, everything started to grow. That's when I could choose more nutritious food. That's when I could put on my runners and get out for a run. That's when I could sit in silence and meditate for five minutes because I loved myself enough to do those things. But when you're caught in the cycle of this self-loathing and beating yourself up all day, every day, you can't break through to the goodness because you're just so consumed. You're on the dance floor of madness. But when you get onto the balcony, okay, what do I need today to make me feel well, to help my body sing? You will make those choices because you truly love yourself. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, I think there's always a bit of resistance. As certainly is for me. I really, I have a great relationship with myself today. I still resist going out for a run, but I can push through that resistance now because I know that I am worthy of taking those steps. It's almost like we tell ourselves what we're worth through our behavior. And I'm like, no, no, no. I'm the sort of person that deserves this time. And yeah, you're so right. It has to start from that place of changing the relationship with ourselves, doesn't it? Yeah. And that's so hard, isn't it? When, if I had heard that 10 years ago, I'd be like, oh, not for me. A hundred percent. It doesn't need to take the big type of rock bottom that you had. I think there's like little, you know, you talk about noticing those five-star moments. You talk about that 30 second check-in. You talk about just little switches, little things that we can do that stack up. I'm really into habit stacking, but just stack up into feeling a little bit better about ourselves. I think if I could go back and give myself any advice on how to start or how to tackle the enormity of like the self-love thing and replacing, you know, those negative thoughts I had with like loving thoughts. I think if you go and buy yourself a book That's why I wrote my book, because I wanted someone to just maybe open one page and just read one page. Pick up Oprah's book, What I Know For Sure, Gabby Bernstein's The Universe Has Your Back. If you can just start with one page, like I always think those 10 years that I worked all through my lunch break. So I added up all those hours. So say you work for 48 weeks in a year on average, you work through your lunch break every day, add all those hours up over 10 years, it's 2,400 hours. So that was 2,400 hours that I didn't take for myself. When I thought about those 2,400 hours, I thought, what if I had a just, and even if I don't get an hour lunch break, what if I just had a, had a book in my bag and just read one page of the book? Where would it have brought me to? So I always think if the journey and the work and the therapy and everything just seems too big and too scary, go get yourself a book. Just take a stroll into that scary self-help section of the bookshop. Pick up a book you feel drawn to, read one page and see where it takes you. I agree. I'm absolutely obsessed with books. It's always been my thing. I just absolutely love it. I absolutely love it. And I would definitely recommend that everyone pick up your book. Tell us a bit about it. Yeah. So it's five steps to create the life you dream about. It's called Glow. But I think it's really about living from the inside out. And for so many years, I was living from the outside in. So like life happened 
to me all the time. So I think the book is just giving you simple tips. So it's five steps like people pleasing, connect with yourself, become curious, create the change, and then to stay open to trust the universe of where any experience may be taking you. They were the steps that I really feel like helped me change my life. But it's not a like 21 day plan. It's not like anything too intense. It's just little tiny, tiny adjustments, like you said, tiny adjustments that you can make to create bigger overall change in your life. And I think that's what particularly as mothers, you know, I don't think many of us have the headspace for particularly little ones. I think it just has to be you know, those 1% that stack up, they really do stack up and make a massive difference. I think you're so right. And I always ask the same question at the end, which is if you could give just one gift to all the mothers in the world, what would that one gift be and why? That's such a beautiful question, by the way. I love it. One gift. Well, what I think is the most important thing of all is time. And if you could like bottle time and give it. And I always felt like when I first had PI, I had no time. I just had no time. And I am a little bit nervous going in to have our second baby, you know, six years later, what's that going to be like? But I hope to God I can give myself a little bit of time this time around, accept the help. You don't have to do it all. You don't have to be perfect. Just remember yourself in all of the madness. So true take that pressure off there's just no perfection is there there's just yeah one day at a time doing it yeah where can people find out a bit more about you you've got a podcast tell us about that yeah so it's called the good glow and I speak to like amazing thought leaders in the world like Mel Robbins and Gabby and Wim Hof and people like that but then I also speak to like your next door neighbor who has survived something and has an amazing story to share and then I speak to incredible people like Millie McIntosh and Louise Thompson and yeah so it's a real mix so they can find me there at the good glow wherever you get your podcast and I'm on Instagram at georgie.crawford Amazing. Oh, well, thank you so much, Georgie. It's been so nice to connect. I've loved it. Thank you. I absolutely loved it. And uh, I hope I'll get to meet you in person someday. That'd be very nice. So that was the episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. If you did, please do leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you are listening. It does make a massive difference. I will see you back on Monday for our Monday moment where we share an idea, a tool or a concept that is going to help you have a better week. I'll see you back here on Thursday for our in-depth expert interview and Friday where we have our community episode where I chat to one of you, our Motherkind community, about your experiences in motherhood. I will see you next time.